0: The second part of our June edition of the Walleye World podcast, I have Lake St. Clair Walleye Association Vice President, Master Anglers Division angler Eric Lenz. Eric, how are you doing
1: today? I'm doing great, Rob. It's uh, I'm a, I'm a longtime fan of the podcast. I don't think I've missed one yet. Uh, I enjoy listening to them every time you come out with one. So it's it's great to finally be a guest on the on the show.
0: Yeah, long time coming too. So, hey, for folks that don't know you, tell them a little about yourself, kind of what you do and kind of how you got into fishing
1: sure so um i grew up doing a lot of uh river fishing and then you know i kind of learned walleye fishing on holden lake we had a, a cottage up in prudentville um, on the south southeast corner of, of holden lake and uh grew up going up there and fishing out of a uh, little aluminum boat did a lot of uh, slip bobber fishing a lot of casting jigs and a lot of drift fishing um, running three-way rigs and running, uh, spinners just with a split shot over the tops of the weeds. And then we would go out, go out at night after, you know, the family activities were, were done. It was kind of my dad and my time to, to sneak out and yeah go out and do some fishing. So we'd go out and fish at night and pull little thunder sticks and stuff like that over the tops of the weeds. And, you know, what really got me into walleye fishing was, uh, we would catch all kinds of fish. My dad was kind of the guy that, let's just go out and fish and whatever's biting is biting, and yeah. just like being on the water. And we all we all started off fishing for bass and 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 bluegill and stuff like that. But there was nothing that compared to when you caught a walleye. It was, you know, the excitement in the boat of well, we got we caught dinner now. And so walleye <laughs> was always the thing that we really. Yeah. uh, I just got excited about. My dad would get excited, and I would get excited, and I grew up always uh, like in fishing for walleye. And, uh, my dad actually has some cousins that live up by the, uh, the bell river up in Memphis. So we would go up there a lot and we would fish, um, fish the bell river for suckers in the spring and steelhead. And, um, we'd also do a lot of bass fishing in the summer and catch rock bass and, and stuff like that. And, yeah. um, I was really lucky, you know, growing up fishing, having a place in Prudenville and having a canal behind our house. I'd wake up in the morning and first thing I do is run out to the dock and fish all day. And it's kind of a a good kid in the sense that that kept me occupied and my parents didn't really have to do much. They the lake was, was the babysitter. So (laughs) I'd spend all day out there staring over the, the, the dock or the back off the back of the boat and catching little perch and stuff like that. And watching, seeing how fish looking down and watching how they react and, you know, working a worm in front of their face and trying to get them to bite and, um, you know, as I got older and, uh, you know, grew up and got into high school, kind of got away from fishing, got really into sports, um, played uh football all through high school, played lacrosse all through high school and, um, was really competitive with, with sports and, um, you know, you get a little bit older and obviously we're not, uh, putting football helmets and pads on anymore and beating mm-hmm. each other up. We can't really do that when you got to go to work on Monday. So, <laughs> right still had that competitiveness in me and um i got back into really back into fishing and then got introduced into uh tournament fishing and just kind of ran with it i really really like uh, something to to compete in and um you know it's 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 nice you meet a lot of really good good people and your hard work it's gets applauded and recognized and uh it's just something that uh is a is a very positive thing to put energy into so
0: yeah, I agree.
1: Just uh, really got focused in in um, in, in tournament fishing and kind of kind of dedicated myself to to getting to getting good at this. And now I pretty much uh, I I I live for it. You know, mm-hmm. it's a thing that kind of keeps me ticking. I I put a lot of energy into it, and, um, and, and it's fun. It's rewarding, and you know now I get to uh, get to spend more time you know fishing with my dad like we we grew up doing and
0: yeah
1: uh we get to fish the derbies together and uh fish made madness together and you know we really enjoy fishing together me and my dad uh are a really good team together we have a good understanding with each other in the boat and uh he kind of lets me take the lead and just you know follows the lead and does everything he can to to help and he's got a lot of good luck in him too i'll tell you that much <laughs> that's for sure i mean the the old man, sometimes he, he amazes me, you know, I put so much thought into so many things and Hey, dad, we're going to go to this spot. We're going to do this. And I want you to do that. And this is how specific it has to be. If you don't do this where it's, you're not going to get bit. And next thing you know, he's in the back of the boat, just, you know, dragging his bait alongside, alongside the boat and out fishing me. So (laughs) it's, it's kind of funny that, um, you know, it humbles you when you, when you think that, uh, you got to tell, tell him what to do and he shows you up. So oh,
0: that, and Hey, I know the truth about that. I, so I fished the derbies with my dad a lot. And uh, one of the themes for this podcast, Eric and I are going to talk about, so we'll recap the June derby and you know, this is, this is club fishing. It's just for fun. It's, it's camaraderie and yeah, bragging rights too. But um, I guess uh, one of the cool things that I really appreciate about Eric is he's a family man. Um, so he fishes with his dad and, you know, I know you got a little one at home. Tell us a little bit about your family and maybe something about like your career, anything you want to share, man.
1: Yeah, so um, I just celebrated my anniversary with my wife uh, last week and I, I tell everybody, I bragged everybody that I'm one of the luckiest man there is. My, my wife is very understanding of, the, uh, of my passion for fishing and, and coincidentally, uh, I'm lucky that she's very driven in uh, something very similar. Mm-hmm. And she owns a horse and is grew up riding a horse when she was a younger girl and kind of a similar thing, you know, got into high school and got away from it a little bit. And then you get older and you, you know, get a good job and start making money where you can afford to do those things again. So she's yeah. been, uh, she, she was doing competitive riding for a while. And, um, you know, that, that really helps when you have somebody that, uh, is into something as, as much as you are. And it was one of those things. I mean, before we had Claire, uh, I'm going to go ride, you know, I'm going to go to the barn and, 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 ride Luna. Okay. Well, I guess I'm going to go fishing. And it just, it just worked, you know? And, yeah. You know with I, I, am for those that don't know, I'm a, I'm a union carpenter in the company that I work for. I've been with for the last 14 years. Um, we build uh, auto show and trade show displays and I travel a lot for work supervising different setups, uh, throughout the country. So it's really cool. I get to go all over the place and
0: true road warrior. Uh,
1: yeah 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 exactly um so it's you know it's that part of it you know you spend a lot of time away from family but uh it's something that she's always understood and always accepted and yeah it's nice too because um she's used to the the time apart we we value our time together but we value our time apart so um you know with all the traveling with work it it kind of rolls into you know some of the traveling for tournament fishing and whatnot and Mm -hmm uh, understands that, uh, it's, it's what I really like to do. And we're kind of already broken in with, uh, with me traveling and, and me being away from home. So I always try to make sure that everything's taken care of at home before I go anywhere there and you go try and make sure that, uh, everybody's, everybody's good here. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, like I said, I, I, I can't say it enough how lucky I am to have the wife that I have. She's very understanding of my passion towards fishing and, uh, how, how demanding it can be at times. And, yeah um and then we uh we have a 15 a month old now claire that uh is just my my favorite little thing in the world she's mm-hmm. just an absolute angel and uh and and such a, a great little girl and and she's already has her uh dipsy divers that she plays with and <laughs> I took some hooks off some crankbaits and she loves playing with those loves anything that rattles so yeah, we do that at our house too
0: her,
1: yeah i gotta <laughs> give her a bunch of uh bunch of my loudest, uh, rattling crankbaits. Um, but yeah, I hope one day that she, she, um, enjoys fishing as much as I do. I'll definitely be taking her. And, you know, one of the things I guess that, um, real, I really enjoyed about fishing growing up with my dad is that he never forced it upon me and he just kind of left it adventurous for me and we would go fishing and on the Bell River or Mill Creek, or we went on a lot of fishing trips growing up. And, He never told me like, Hey, you got to do this this way, or this is the way that, you know, I want you to, to cast this lure or this is how we're doing stuff. He just kind of left it up to me. So, um, I've always loved that kind of aspect in fishing is that it's, you never know what's around that next bend in the river. You never know, Mm -hmm. you know, what's on the other side of the lake. And there's a lot of adventure involved in it and never, uh, never pushed me into, into doing anything. Just kind of let me run with it and, uh. I think that's what really made me enjoy fishing and, uh, you know, I obviously going to take Claire and, and, uh, can't wait, you know, to get her out fishing and for sure. hopefully she, she enjoys it and give her the kind of the same freedom to, uh, to run with it, yeah. um, that I got. So.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I can't wait for when my, my boy's ready to do that. And, you know, same points, same, same kind of thoughts, you know, I don't, I don't want to force my passion on him, but if he wants to join in on the adventures, I, I just can't wait for that. So absolutely, yeah, and that, that's the cool thing about Lake St. Clair Wally Association. It, you know, I, I'm on the board of directors. You're vice president currently, and you've got multiple generations of family involved. And and it's it it truly is. I mean, you meet some good people there, and it's you know it becomes like a family, a second family to you. So um, yeah, man, let's uh. So we got a little background on who Eric is. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the June Derby. So I've got my thoughts on June. June's like a huge transition month for Lake St. Clair. Um, A lot of the spring type panics are kind of busting up. The fish are moving outside of the post-spawn areas. Um, They're kind of moving out of those shallows, although some still stay digged in. But those mid-lake areas start to turn on a little bit. But it's a time of transition. So that's kind of how it shaped my pre-fishing and in fishing for the days of the derbies. Um, it's no secret that cabbage is, <laughs> that's like our structure on Lake St. Clair. So guys that are listening to this podcast, you're going to get some background on not necessarily, Hey, go to this spot, but here's what you want to look for the methodology and, and why the fish are there. And, and our aim is to help you become a better fisherman, not to brag about, Hey, our, our technique worked or, or whatnot. It's, it's to help people. So yeah. Um, Eric, I shared some of my thoughts on June and how it kind of sets up the lake. Go ahead and give us some of your thoughts on Lake St. Clair and, uh, you know, that beginning of the summer bite pattern.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you on the whole transition period. It's uh, There's obviously good fish to still be had in, in a lot of the post-spawn uh, shallower areas, but they just become a lot harder to target. Yeah. Um, what I like about fishing, those shallow, early shallow weeds is that they're sparse and you kind of translate that out further out into the lake. You know, the, the, the weeds are getting thicker and shallow in those, in those, um, April, May and early June spots. Um, and it, it just makes it tougher because there's so many more areas, um, for those fish to hide in. And it's, there's, there's not a definitive place for you to really pinpoint and target them. But if you start moving out mid lake and a little bit deeper then that's, you know, obviously those weeds are developing uh, weeks behind the shallower weeds. So you Mm -hmm. kind of get uh, the same thing that you're looking for uh, in the spring out there. Um, Smaller weed clumps, uh, colder water, a lot of bait out there. So the fish are obviously transitioning out there, but you just need to really look for and find um, some of the, the the smaller weed patches out there that are holding fish and they'll really glue to them the same way that they glue to the sparse weeds that you have in shallow um, a month ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it it can be extremely tough this time of year because the fish are still in a huge, uh, a huge feeding mode and, and the post-spawn is long in the Great Lakes because you have so many fish that are on different timelines. It's not like a two week thing and everything is done and, and all the fish are on the same pattern. I mean, you still have fish that are coming out of the river uh, that are late spawners that are going to those um, post-spawn spots. So uh, you have your fish that might've spawned, you know, three months ago and fish that spawned a month ago. And they're all kind of, um, it's a continual uh, cycle of them moving into different areas. But I, uh, it, it, it's, it's difficult in, in June because if anything is behind, um, you're kind of forced to those really shallow areas right. and it, it can really screw you up in, in where are you going to go and what are you going to do? And, um, you know, there's no doubt about it. I, I my dad and I love to, to, to fish spinners. It's, uh, in my opinion, our, our strong point. Um, but you know, June has always kind of been that month where I, I like to crank, to be honest with you, and and mm-hmm. a lot of it is because those fish are transitioning, and you know, running spinners at one five and running cranks at three, you're obviously covering double the amount of water, and um, you know, you can you can you can cycle through a lot of spots, a lot of traditional spots, really really quick. Um, to check for fish and then you can also spend uh, a little time expanding on those spots more and and fishing outside of them you know to go another 10 minutes past your waypoints, you could cover a whole nother mile of water when you're going really fast and you might stumble upon something maybe the area that you traditionally catch fish doesn't really have them and they're just sitting off the edges of it next thing you know you find your next best spot so Um, it can be a very difficult month. I want to say that June is, is, um, it's tough because it's, it is that it's a transition month. And with there not being a lot of structure on Lake Sinclair, um, we're really dependent on the weeds. And if those weeds are behind those fish are just kind of, uh, they're just kind of roaming. And that's one thing that I absolutely hate doing is trying to target fish that are, are just open water, flat roamers, because, they can stay, they, but a lot of times they, they won't. And the wind and the current and so many things will shift them to right. where, you can really be on them one day. But, you know, you go out, you, you, the wind changes direction, you go out tomorrow and they're gone. They're gone, and and they might not be gone by far. They could be a half a mile in one direction, and uh, there's just so much water and so many spots out there that, and, and only so much time and you might not necessarily uh, find those fish. You might, you know, go to a completely different area four miles away and kind of write that one off as, well, the fish aren't here. Well, they're there, they're just, you know, a thousand yards to the left or to the right of where you were fishing yesterday. Yeah.
0: That's where that high speed marking comes into play. So uh,
1: absolutely, if, if you're, absolutely. if
0: you're a guy that's listening and, and you don't have to be a tournament guy to appreciate this, but if you're able to read your traditional sonar at speed, you'll be able to mark more fish, cover more water quickly, and then set yourself up for success with a successful pass with, with cranks to cover water faster or with spinners. So you know, one thing we'll probably talk about is the the benefits of covering water fast. Eric mentioned a, a high speed there. We'll we'll dig into that a little bit more. But um, hey, some, I'll rewind a little bit more for guys that want to learn more about Lake St. Clair. So there's there's a lot of dynamics. We talked about currents. We talked about this time of the year where, where weeds are coming up and, and targeting weeds. And hey, like for me, if I want to target a bigger class of fish, I'm looking for cabbage. And um, reeling back even further... You know, we have our resident fish in Lake St. Clair, and there are fish that spawn on the lake. We have the fish that spawn in the smaller tributaries like the Clinton, uh, the Thames, Bell River, um, you know, that stuff on the Canadian side. Then, obviously, the big rivers that feed in and out of our system, which is St. Clair River, Detroit River. So, think of Lake St. Clair as a freaking super highway of Huron strain fish, Erie strain fish. I mean, walleye will travel far, far away. So it's it's literally a mixing pot of Great Lakes gold. That's the way I think about it. And uh, what a cool time to target these fish. So yeah, June has its own challenges. but um, hey, if, if I, I would tell people, definitely don't feel like you gotta stay with the pack of boats you know, um, I'm not knocking anyone, but have some independent thought and, and take a look at some of these areas that we're suggesting. What, what I mean by areas we suggest is look for cabbage. You, um, if you can, uh, how do I say it? You, you'll be able to see weeds come off the, the bottom. Um, and it takes some time on the water and skill to kind of figure out what's cabbage and whatnot. But if you're really curious, just drag something through it. You can get a piece of it up and inspect for yourself, but it, it literally looks like, you know, small cabbage. But, um, Yeah, man. So talk to me a little bit about what you did to prepare for the event.
1: Well, that's really one of my favorite things to do, to be honest with you. I'm very lucky that uh, I live where I live. I live in St. Clair Shores and pretty much at the end of my street, eighth mile away is Lake St. Clair. And there really isn't a day that, that goes by that I don't at least have my eyes on the lake. And that's just as simple as driving down Jefferson to go somewhere or you know uh going on a wagon ride uh with claire and and taking the dog for a walk and um i'm really lucky to be this close to lake so i get to um get to see a lot of what the lake is going on even if it's only a glimpse you know you can you can see what the look at the wind report and go out and kind of peek at the lake and see what's going on um one thing that's really nice uh although my wife probably doesn't agree is the fish fly hatch. Um, they get kind of bad at the house, but I know mm-hmm. exactly every night, uh, that they're hatching two nights ago, we had a really bad uh, West wind and it had the lake really stirred up and we had a huge hatch of, of midges and a huge hatch of uh, mayflies. And, um, so yeah, I mean, it just being this close to the Lake,
0: yeah.
1: uh, I can, I can kind of, get a feel for the way that things are, the, the lake is, is reacting. And even to the point where I know when the lake water is, is cold and you get, uh, a a breeze off the lake and you can, I can feel it in my backyard and other days I can feel a lot of warm air coming off the lake. So, um, I'm really lucky that I, I live that close to the lake. And then, you know, my, my garage is a little bit of a mess, but it's, it's my, uh, my, my big fish house. So. Mm-hmm. Um before every every derby, before any time I go out, um, I'm always tinkering in the garage the day before and kind of figuring things out, getting the boat ready, getting everything organized ahead of time in the boat, kind of getting the starting lineup of what baits I'm gonna be running so that I get out there, I'm ready to set lines right away. And um to be honest with you, going into this derby, I haven't been out on Lake St. Clair uh until Friday, the first night of the derby. Um, the last time I was on in Lake St. Clair was, uh, the, the last derby, uh, that we had. And, um, you know, I've been out fishing since, but I was up North in Alpena for the night ice tournament, which by the way, for anybody that hasn't, hasn't checked that out, it's a Thunder Bay walleye club event. It's a two day night event. We had a lot of fun fishing up there and, um, actually learned a couple of things up there that, that I kind of relayed into, into this June derby. Awesome. But, um. You know, part of my preparation and part of my idea of going into this derby was, well, there's a few things that went into it. One, obviously I saw that there was a huge bug hatch, uh, a couple days before or beginning of a huge bug hatch a couple days before, um, Friday, the start of the derby. And, and, and I knew that there was going to be a lot of food out there. I didn't really know how the weeds were in certain areas of the lake. So I, I my confidence is in spinning, but, um, I knew that uh I might get out there and I might try and hit spots and I'd be going slow over them spinning and not necessarily cover the the amount of water that I needed to and it helps too when you got buddies that musky fish and and they call you and say we've been smashing fish. I mean big fish, small fish, it don't matter. We're catching wall twenty inch walleye at four mile an hour on nine inch baits. And right wow. then there it told me that those fish are, are reacting. Um and and I knew that in order to get better fish, I was going to have to get them in a reaction bite and um, went out uh, Friday night with that kind of a plan. I was going to strictly, strictly crank. I hit one of my favorite spots, um, a big, big weed bed just off the channel and uh, fished all around it. I, I was able, there wasn't a lot of wind, so I was able to go make big circles and big loops around it and pretty much had it mapped out and and it was shaped up exactly where it needed to be for this time of year and yeah. everything looked perfect but the issue i had in there that wasn't really marking the fish that i wanted to see you know there was perfect weeds perfect water temperature perfect water color uh little signs of bait and that improved as the days went on um throughout the derby but just wasn't really marking the fish that that i uh that i wanted to see and that really kind of solidified my plan going into Saturday that I was going to have to crank just because I didn't have any, any pinpointed spots that I, I really felt an advantage of slowing down and running spinners over the top of them. And, and, uh, I knew I was going to need to cover water and cover a lot of spots and try and get that reaction bite out of the better fish. And, um, you know, Saturday that's that's kind of how we went into things. Um, we, we cranked pretty much the whole entire day. Uh, caught a couple good fish that day. Sunday was our, our better day. Um, noticed a couple things on my way out on 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 Sunday morning that really uh, kind of dialed me into an area, a different area that I normally fish, and just kind of ran with that and, and, and stuck with that plan.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So, hey, I'm I'm going to reel back just a little bit. And uh, one thing I'm not going to do on our beloved lake is blow up spots. <laughs> but uh, I, I have a very, I'm not going to say where, but, um, you know, that, that area you'd mentioned, yeah, there wasn't a ton of bait there. And now and then, you know, you can see some roamers over the tops of those weeds, but that doesn't tell you, hey, this is something you want to grind pretty hard. I mean, if you see bait, then usually you can get better fish. But um, the, the big thing is uh, if you if you hear what Eric's saying is he's paying attention to all little details, the way bait's set up, if he's look if he finds fish, where they relate to the weed beds. I mean that that stuff helps you. Um, if if you're gonna be a successful fisherman on Lake St. Clair, um, it's not, not just my opinion, but you know, you talk to the guys that do well in these club derbies at Fish the Lake, they're they're weed fishermen. They know exactly what they're doing. So good points. Um You know, for for me, I'll kind of go into some of my my background with fishing, the June Derby, is it was kind of a confusing time. Again, that transition kind of throw you off. So I knew we'd have to be busting up cabbage patches and looking for the right weeds. So historically, you know, you're going to get the same patches in the same places every every year. I mean, they'll they'll shift a little bit, but generally they're going to be in the same area. So when I saw the stuff mid-lake popping about four feet off the bottom or so, um, I knew those are the areas I want to concentrate my time on. So uh, interestingly, you know, I, my mindset is, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a saying Clear guy. I'm going to spin. But uh, just for giggles, I, I'd run cranks, and I'd pull, you know, better fish during practice. I'd pull a three- or four-pounder. But then I'd slow down. Um, I'd run with spinner, you know, uh, after that crank bite would die down over the same patches and I'd pluck a few more out of there. So it was kind of a, a thing that kind of threw me off. Which way do I go about it? So throughout the Derby, we would constantly cycle between cranks and spinners. Um, looking back, you know, I would say consistently the better fish came on cranks. And even the areas where guys were just... um just crowded fishing main areas. It's no secret. Um, yeah, some of the shipping channel areas can be loaded full of fish. You just, you know, just look at the horizon. You'll see the tuna boats and all all that stuff. But for guys that are targeting a bigger class of fish, in my opinion, it's a distraction. You know, you could run there and I ran there and I ran cranks and I got some better fish out of there down low, but that's not necessarily the most efficient thing when you're trying to make a pass and, and you got guys that aren't paying attention and the spinning rod goes off on a bottom bouncer and they start trolling into you. So, (laughs) I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. that's the truth. I hit it first thing in the morning and get the heck out and run to Cabbage Patch, A, B, C, D. And, uh, I mean, that, you know, it paid off. It's just I didn't get the program dialed in perfectly. And, you know, I played around with some things that – I don't think a lot of guys do on Lake St. Clair. I'm not going to let it out all the bag because I, I, I want to work on things more. But I, I will say that there's only a handful of guys that cast out there for walleye. I will say it works. And, uh, you know, it, if your confidence and strength is in, you know, trolling, try to get out of your comfort zone. It's something I've been preaching about on this podcast, but my dad and I were working on a mid-lake casting program. It, it freaking worked. So I'll probably talk more about it in the future, but Another thing I talked about in the past on some of our live streams that we've done on Facebook is um, Lindy rigging and, uh, you know, flat out works. Um, I can think of no other way to precision put a bait. And we're talking about small, maybe 30, 40 yard patches or Eric said the size of your garage, uh, cabbage patches. And and you can just do circles around that thing with a Lindy rig and pound the crap out of them. And I'm I'm telling guys that, you know, if you want to try something a little different, put a spinning rod in your hand and live bait rig it with a quarter ounce weight and I was doing it and I was getting fish that way so yeah just want to get guys out of the comfort zone That
1: precise fishing or fishing is 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 crucial and uh same thing with like the casting is that you can get a reaction out of out of a, a better fish that you won't get out of, out of the rest of the class of fish and and you can go into an area that guys are just pounding a bunch of smaller fish and go in and apply a very aggressive casting program and, and, and fire up those bigger fish that those guys can't get. Right. And uh, you know, that was something that I did on Friday. I didn't have much success in it, but it's one of those things that you kind of have to do it um, because, you know, if you get the bites that you're looking for, they're going to be the right bites and, Mm -hmm. you know, sacrificing time, you know, I kind of cut my night short Uh, Friday. I was, I was trolling and, I went to a casting bite in a completely different area than where I was trolling. And, and I kind of told myself, I need, I really need a big one right now. And this is a good shot at getting a big one. And I've gotten a lot of big ones in the past doing what I did and it just didn't pan out, but yeah, it very easily could have went the other way. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that you just have to, you have to try and you have to sacrifice time away from other things to mm-hmm in order to do that. I mean, those are a lot of times the, the things that make the difference and get that one fish that really makes the big difference in your bag. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things you have to force yourself to to do and get out of your comfort zone. And, and, you know, what you were saying with a, a lot of those really popular, popular areas, one thing that I, I've, I've kind of taught myself over the years and I've, I've really learned is, it's good to it's good to let certain areas rest and it's really good to you know be the first in a spot because you'll get a uh, you'll get that instant reaction out of fish being the first one to pass through there.
0: Yeah.
1: And I feel like even if I'm only the, the only boat working in an area, it's nice for me to leave that area for a while because after two, three, four passes over the same spot, you kind of exhaust those fish. I they mean, get they've burned. seen they've seen the bait go by them yeah. and they kind of get you know oh there there goes that same uh you know perch crankbait again and and they just they they you don't you lose that reaction out of them because they keep seeing it so much so it's nice to go and run to a different area and kind of have a fresh crack at a, at a spot and and keep an eye on some of those areas that those guys are working and if you see guys leave those areas i mean most most of the people it was super hot heavy action of some of those channel spots and guys were limited out and all of a sudden by nine ten o'clock, all the boats are cleared out of there. Well, there's still fish there. Now there's just less boats. So you keep an eye on that, let the boats leave that area, let that area settle down a little bit and you can go through there and all of a sudden all those fish are fired back up again. There's no pressure on them yeah. and a lot of times I notice that when I drop in on a spot, I'll have a pass where I get three, four good fish and I'll rerun that pass three, four times and and not really get anything. I'll leave, go to another area, drop in on them, get three, four fish, and same thing, make a couple passes on that spot and it starts to go cold. And then you go back to that first area and there you go. You have that pass again, a three, four fish. So I think it's, it's important too to, there's always a time to really work over an area. If you're really seeing something that on your graph that you can't leave it, you know, stick it out and fish it. But it's nice to give things a rest and it's not just giving the fish in the spot a rest, but giving yourself a rest, you're kind of resetting the button. And then that way, when you leave that area, you know what's there and you're excited and eager to go back to it because you know that there's fish there and you know, like, Hey, I'm letting these fish just, you know, kind of taking the pressure off of them and you can't wait to get back. So when you go back to that area, you're, you know, energetic, you're excited, you, you, you're, you're anticipating what's going to happen. And, uh, it not only gives the fish a break, but it gives yourself a break. And, uh, you kind of, you, you, you regain your confidence and, and, uh, in, in your program and the things that you're doing. And a lot of times that, that really seems to, to work for me just to get out of there, just get out of there for a while and, and, and clear your head and try something different. And, and wait for those fish to uh to reload
0: yeah hey that's that you just nailed the term i was going to say so i call that reloading the spot and it's an opportunity for the fish to get a break from from the fishing pressure and it's this opportunity for you to reload mentally and reload your your approach so great points um and you know you you've consistently done well in the past i think four derbies um you know super six and masters and you Know um, these are good points for guys that hey, if you want to learn to, f- to fish the lake better and understand why fish are there, we're telling you. So, um, yeah, this is contextually for Lake St. Clair, but hey, if you got any lake with current, most of them do, it's going to help you out with knowledge. Um, so, I know I have people listening from all over the place, um, Montana, further out west. Uh, you know, uh, the heartland, if you will, of of walleye fishing, Wisconsin, Minnesota, you know, there's things that you can apply and, you know, I I always find it, uh, it's just weird for me that that people lose confidence when fishing weeds and I guess I I, I forget that, you know, I've been spoiled and and that's kind of what we do on Lake St. Clair. Our our bread and butter is busting fish out of weeds and, um, you know, another thing with that reload is, um, you know, you know, if if the fish shut off, I talked about how I'm switching presentations. I'll switch trolling cranks fast, then I'll then I'll go over to uh, spinners. And sometimes it's a good thing, but other times it's to a fault. Like I will grind a spot if I know the fish are there and the right fish, and I'll throw different presentations. I'll uh, I, the one cabbage patch I fished, um, not off the channel, not gonna say where. I spun over, it, picked off a couple fish, buzzed cranks pretty fast over them, not as fast as you'd mentioned earlier. Busted. Decent fish out of there Then I went to a casting bite With something more subtle Like a jig and plastic uh, Tried, you know, lipless crank Nothing They wanted it trolled and, and I tried stuff that would Get more of a reaction out of it Didn't work So now, if I know a fish is there And the right fish I'll, I'll grind a spot But there's a certain point And you kind of got to feel it out In your in your heart and your head When you got to back off And reload mentally So that's uh, That's really good points, man Um yeah. So we talked about the dynamics of St. Clair. We are resident fish population and then the non-resident that are kind of passing through. It's literally a bait factory. And, you know, everyone knows that these fish feed off of the hatches. And also, you know, we have tons of shiners, no shores of perch. A lot of the bigger fish will burp up perch. So, Hey, that's another thing I'm looking for on these spots. Am I marking perch? And, uh, you know, there's there's so much opportunity, so many different ways to approach the fish. And although it's, um, it's a pretty large lake, you can cover water pretty quick. And, and at this derby, we were limited to the U.S. side. So guys that are used to running to Canada, I normally do, um, stuck fishing the U.S. side for, for better or for worse. And, you know, what a great opportunity. Even if you're, I would encourage anyone that listens that wanted to become a member, because our derbies are for members, if you fish one of these things, You know, stay after a little bit. Talk to someone at the weigh-in. Absolutely. And and your knowledge will grow exponentially. Even if you don't do well, you're going to win in the sense that you're gaining knowledge and experience fishing water. Absolutely. So I always tell people that. And, you know, if hey, maybe you're not in Michigan. uh, You're not in southeast Michigan where we are. Get involved in a club and and meet like-minded people that can help you do that. So, you know, we're not here to, uh, you know, go fish the the firecracker or, you know, handouts information. You know, some of that does happen, but uh, we want to help people become better anglers. And where that starts is up in your noggin, in your head. So, yeah, uh, you ran things a little bit different. And uh, it sounds like you got a really good tidbit of information just talking to some of your fishing buddies before this event about running baits fast. And, and that paid off big time for you. So if elaborate as much or as little as you want about what worked for you.
1: So, like I said before, I, I kind of was all in on, on running cranks. And, um, you know, the one thing that a lot of people lose sight of when when you get a bug hatch, obviously walleye are going to eat the bugs and everything's going to eat the bugs. Yeah. And I've I've caught, you know, 27, 28-inch walleye. They're just coughing up nothing but mayflies. But what a lot of people lose sight of is that a lot of, uh, perch will chase these mayflies and a walleye, uh, the walleye in this lake, especially absolutely love perch. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is a lot of people focus on just the hatch and what are those fish doing? Are they going to be up high and eating bugs? And, and don't get me wrong. There's a lot of times, uh, more often than not that I run you know, really small blades, and try and kind of match that hatch, and try and burn little willow blades and stuff really fast. But you can't lose sight of the fact that a lot of these perch are chasing mayflies up, and they're making themselves vulnerable, and that kind of rings the dinner bell to a lot of the walleye. And they, you know, perch are eating, and they're not—they're focused on eating, and they're not so much in that hunker down hide mode from from predators, and they make themselves really vulnerable. So yeah that'll get a lot of walleye really fired up in, and chasing and eating perch. So it's always important to find perch in this lake. But I think when you get into that hatch, um, you know, the, it's not just about trying to match the hatch as far as the mayflies go and targeting walleye that are eating mayflies. They're eating everything. Right. And if they have the choice of eating a perch, they're going to eat a perch over there over eating, say a hundred mayflies that night. So, um, you know, I I went all in on the on the crankbait program. I knew I needed to cover water. And um uh, there was a lot of times where I I got over some of my really good traditional weed beds. And some of them are no secrets, some of them are um mm-hmm. in, in the areas that I was fishing, but uh there was a lot of times that I really wanted to to slow down and and the, and a lot of what makes me Uh, spin in this lake over running cranks is that the spots are so small that you have a better chance of running a spinner because you have a slower presentation you have a slower troll speed Mm -hmm. and you can stay over those spots a lot longer and give those fish uh, a better chance at seeing your presentation and and, and eating it where as if you're hitting a weed bed that's the size of your garage and it's loaded with fish and you go blast and buy it with cranks well you know, how effective is that sometimes, you know, you're over the spot for, uh, you know, a couple seconds. And the next thing you know, you're just fishing water that you don't necessarily want to fish. So a lot of, uh, of, of my decision making, whether to run cranks or to run crawlers is kind of based on that. And if I see fish that are really loaded up on certain weed beds, and I feel like I need to really slow down and I need to work these fish over that, that's what I'll do. But I didn't I didn't really see that. And the other thing was we didn't have a lot of wind and I love, love, love spinner fishing with wind and, and and really, um, you know, uh, having a flat calm day is can be the death of walleye fishing. I mean, it can really hurt a really good bite.
0: I was going to say that
1: exactly. And, and, um, there was hardly any wind all weekend and I knew there wasn't going to be much wind. So it didn't really fit into, the whole idea of me going into a spinner program. And, uh, there was actually, a a a point where myself, uh, and my dad and and you and your dad and Jeff were all working kind of the same weed bed and you guys were spinning and I was cranking. You guys were actually outproducing me and you were catching a lot more fish than me. And I was getting ready to switch over to spinners. And I kind of, I had something in the back of my head from when I was running out Sunday morning and and, and it was really, really kind of kind of bugging me. And what I ended up doing is kind of getting away from uh, the weed bed so much and was working more of a currency. And, well, the problem I was having fish in that currency is that with the big hatch, you had all the skins of all the mayflies running right down the middle of that currency. Yep, the, the other issue I had was um, – you know, when you get really nice, sunny, hot days on Lake St. Clair, uh, obviously there's going to be a ton of pleasure boaters out. Well, what do a lot of the pleasure boats do? They go up in really shallow water to anchor, to, to go swimming and whatnot. And as they're doing that, they go over a lot of the shallow weeds and they cut them all up and we get really, really bad floating weeds in, in our lake. So I had a, I had a feeling that the current seemed that Um, a lot of us were fishing and where I had caught some good fish on Saturday was going to be loaded up with weeds. And, and sure enough, Sunday morning when I was running out to that area, um, I noticed that it was just absolutely loaded with weeds and I, and I tried to just stay outside the current seam. It wasn't really in the spot. It wasn't really where I wanted to be. How about that ride out through there? Well, (laughs) and, and, and I'll tell you that. So. One thing I noticed, I, was, I launched out of Harley and I was going south and um, there's areas of the lake and we joke, we all joke around, we call them Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle, Triangle. <laughs> yeah. it, because there's areas that it's, it's, you know, it's um, force on force, depending on which way the wind's blowing and which way the current is moving through those areas. They can get really, really nasty. There's a couple spots um, that are like south of the Basset where you can go for five miles crossing the lake and all of a sudden you go through a mile of just absolute terrible rough water and you're like well where did this come from well if you got a south wind and you got a north to south current and that south wind's pushing up against that current well it's gonna mm. stack everything up yeah and make everything really rough so when i was riding out on on sunday going to my spot i noticed there was about a, a half a mile to a mile of really really rough water and one of the things that i had um, Taken, I kind of mentioned uh, when I was fishing that night eyes tournament. Some of the things that I learned when you when you get up into Lake Huron and especially when you get into Northern Lake Huron, those fish move with the wind. And there's so much structure, there's so much food, and there's so many options for those fish that it can just be mind boggling sometimes when you're looking at a map or you're looking at your graph and you're trying to figure out well where are the fish going to be? Well, they can be anywhere because it's endless there's just it's it's an endless buffet of great structure full of food
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and and i'm fortunate enough where i have some really good buddies up there that are extremely good fishermen and that i i'm all ears anytime they're ever saying anything and 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 constantly learning from these guys and 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 one thing that i learned up there is um how how quick the fish will move from one area to another and it's 100 percent based off of wind direction and one thing that I noticed when I was going through that really rough area is that it's about a two mile long pass of a current scene where we catch fish and a lot of times they're either at the north end the middle end or the south end of it they're usually not in the whole entire stretch of it unless the fish are really stacked in there. Mm-hmm. so my thought process as the the day went on as well, well that south wind had all that water uh or had that whole all those fish that were in the area stacked up towards the north end of that pass
0: i was just gonna say that that's where i got mine
1: exactly and and um you know and that that particular area actually has weeds at the north end of it And it's always been kind of a mystery well why does this area hold fish why does this area hold fish and you know, we got out there a couple of years ago on a really calm day and we noticed this big giant current seam running through there. And we figured out that it was a big current seam that was holding fish. It's just a big buffet of, you know, the fish kind of sit on the edges of it and everything just flows to them. So, yeah,
0: conveyor belt of food if you're a walleye, exactly, or whatever's exactly caught, big catfish in there. Yeah, it's it's amazing.
1: Everything, it's a conveyor belt of food. You nailed it on that. So, well, oh, I just um, want to
0: chime in one thing. So guys that probably ask, you know, how the heck do I find a current seam? Well, you know, sometimes it's easy if you got an island. You can literally see like a slick on the water. But Eric gave a really good tip earlier in our discussion. He saw a scum line of um, mayfly yep. and, um, and midge hulls there. So, yeah, you, you look, for, look for slicks on the surface of the water. Sometimes you're not always going to have an easy idea of it. But, um, you know, pay attention on those calm days and you might get a couple hints from the lake.
1: Yeah, I would say pay attention on those calm days and then pay attention to satellite images, too, especially yes. in the spring yep. when the when the lakes get really, really messed up. And, and we all stare at these satellite images and, and of Lake St. Clair and Lake Erie and stuff like that. You see where certain areas of the lake where stuff is like really swirling or you see a seam of like really blue water going through a bunch of really muddy water. Well, obviously, that's where a bunch of water is funneling through. So take note of, uh, of those areas. Bingo. And, If there's one thing that I could really tell anybody um, that can make them a better fisherman is be very observant. Just be observant of your time on the water. Nothing compares to time on the water. Nothing. I mean, you can read as many articles, read as many magazines, go to as many seminars, go to YouTube, as many videos as as you want. And that's all very good stuff. And I, I do that and I recommend anybody do that. But, when you do get the opportunity in the day to go out fishing, don't just, you know, worry about uh, what station the radio's on and, and, and kind of screw around with that stuff. Be observant when you're driving your boat. Look around and, and, and look at the horizon because when you get on a big body of water, especially Lake Sinclair, it all looks the same once you're five, six miles out. Exactly. So in order to kind of differentiate, you know, this is not like uh, – you know, fishing in a farm pond where it's like, "Hey, look at those trees falling over there and those those stumps." There's got to be a fish sitting underneath there. Mm-hmm. We get out in a big, giant, open area. Um, it's just kind of it's confusing. I mean, yeah, we all have really good graphs and and whatnot. You can kind of see what's underneath the water. And but just look around and try and notice those things. Try and find those current areas when it's a rough day try and see where it's less rough Then there's less current there see where it's more rough well obviously there's more current there um and that was something you know a big part of my success this weekend it was just being observant on my morning ride out it's just that plain and simple um and and then kind of translating that into something and and thinking well I know that this area is about a two-mile-long pass that that usually holds fish. And with that south wind stacking everything up towards the north, um, I figured that the fish were going to be up towards the north. I made a really long pass through there. The further south I went, the less bites I got. And I quickly realized uh, that the fish were going to be at the north end of that pass. The issue I still had was the amount of floating weeds there. Um, so I went to another area and and fished that for a while and just wasn't getting the quality of fish that I wanted. But I didn't really have an option at that point. That where I wanted a fish was loaded up with weeds. But what I I uh, going back to being observant, I was kind of watching the water and the wind started to lie down and I didn't have that real hard push uh, of wind from the south. And I realized well. Now that north to south current is going to prevail. Now that there's no wind, that wind's not going to push all those weeds up. That north, south cur- north to south current is going to slowly start to push all those weeds uh, to the bottom end of the pass and to the south end of the lake. And hopefully I'll get some gaps um, in the area that I want to fish uh, of, of clean water, fishable water.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, sure enough, um, ran back up to that area, uh, started fishing it. And, and basically with the idea, I'm going to start North and I'm going to troll as far South as I can until I start hitting bad weed, bad floating weeds, and we'll turn around and we'll make another pass. And I actually wanted to go further North than what I was able to do, but I was kind of in between patches of, uh, of, of stuff floating down. So yeah, I kind of had a narrow window of, of where I could fish, but at the same time, um, it was better for me to fish a short stretch and fish it effectively with not having a bunch of gunked up crankbaits um, than it was to to try and force myself in fishing through an area that was just too weeded up and, and knowing that there was fish there. But I'm not going to be able to target them effectively. And one of the other things we decided to do is just run four four boards, four lines. That was it. You know, Mm -hmm. it was just something that, hey, let's compromise those two additional rods and those two additional baits because we can run four more efficiently and have cleaner baits than if we can run six. Yes, our odds are more with us with six baits, but six baits that are just full of a bunch of floating weeds isn't doing us any good. So if we can run four and we can continually bring them in, clean them, get them back out quickly and fish them effectively then that's going to actually give us better odds yeah you're not burning uh, that four over six
0: you're not burning that admin time cleaning off those two extra lines i ran exactly the, when it was really weedy through that current seam which which i was at before first light and um you know i saw the floating weeds and I'm like i'm just running two boards and i'm gonna lindy rig out of the other hand and it, it paid yeah. off you know i, I rig weedless but um yeah it, it's about efficiency if you want to get more fish and get the bigger fish. Um, Hey, I want to take a a moment of the the podcast time. And, you know, that whole weekend, it was super hot, super sunny. And, um, you know, I'm a big believer in AFCO um, clothing. You know, we've got our board of directors and executive director, long sleeve shirts and vests from them. But uh, sun protection is really important. You know, earlier my my dad had uh, a patch of melanoma that had to be removed. And, uh, you know, that's kind of sobering you know, that, that sun, uh, you know, skin cancer is not a joke. So sun protection is really important to me. So when I'm out there, I, I stop wearing just t-shirts and, and hat. Um, you know, I want to cover my arms and I'll even wear gloves. So, you know, I, I've worn AFCO for over two years and I'm just now kind of talking about it. If I start tooting my horn about how great it is right when i started i'd have no integrity but um i can tell you that you know there's sun protection stuff i I really like the jason christie hooded long sleeve Um, not only does it keep you cool because we had 90 degree days out there uh, pretty much both days um but i can throw that hood over the the brim of my ball cap and it stays put when i'm running uh it's got some really slick uh thumb loops there that'll hold the uh sleeves up above your your knuckles if you want to if you don't like the glove thing but uh sun sun protection is really important everyone does something a little different i don't really like putting sunscreen all over i hate that sticky feeling um i believe in afco i've been using their stuff for two years and definitely encourage people to check that stuff out and eric i know that you run afco for sun protection what are some of the things that you like
1: obviously yeah sun protection is is very important especially with skin cancer and and uh my dad was diagnosed with leukemia so obviously he can't really be in direct sun so I hooked him up with a bunch of AFco gear and he likes wearing everything you know big big the big sun hat and likes to obviously have he's got to wear long sleeves and can't have that all that sun on him and uh, honestly what I've noticed too is actually wearing long sleeve and wearing long pants is it, it, it'll actually keep you cooler when you when you adapt to getting used to that it keeps the sun off your skin you don't get as hot. But one thing that that, you know, you you don't lose sight of is not only um, skin protection and sun protection is the bugs were so incredibly bad that I will tell you something when you're out there fishing and you're trying to stay focused, it's so terrible when you're in the middle of a bug hatch and you have bugs that are going into your ears and trying to go up your nose and are constantly crawling on your legs. So I actually just got myself a pair of the, uh, the, the protest bibs. They're mm-hmm. the, the AFCO, like the really lightweight bibs. Um, I'm always a, I've always been a fan of wearing shorts and wearing bibs, especially in the morning. Cause it's a lot of times cool. But what I did is I wore a samurai, uh, a hooded long sleeve and put the hood up. So it kept a lot of the bugs out of my ears and in my face. Yeah, and then I wore the bibs, which were, are super lightweight, and super comfortable And it kept all the bugs off of my legs and kept me from from being bothered by that. And um, it keeps you, it it, it not only obviously is sun protection, but keeping those bugs off you keeps you focused and keeps you from being distracted by that. Because I'll be honest with you, there's some days that it just gets so bad with the bug hatch that you can't even last, you know, after two hours, you're just, you've had it because you feel like your skin's crawling and you're constantly you know, swatting bugs off of you and, and stomping on the
0: deck to get them off your legs.
1: That wears you. Exactly. And that, mentally. It takes that you out of really the wears you down physically and mentally more than what you had imagined that it would, but it, it's no fun when you get home after a day of fishing and you feel like your skin's still crawling because there was bugs all over you. So I wore those bibs pretty much the entire, the entire weekend until the bugs kind of died off around noon. And uh, absolutely. I love them. That was really my first time, I just got them. It was my first time wearing them. And, um, you know, there was not a cloud in sight, no rain in the forecast, but I wore, I wore, um, you know, rain gear just to protect myself against the sun and keep the bugs off of me. And, you know, there's not, there's never been anything I could ever say bad about AFCO. Everything I've ever gotten from them is has been awesome. They're an incredible brand and, um, you know, their mission with conservation, uh, fits right alongside of, of what we stand for with the LSCWA and what I stand for. And, uh, it's nice to see a brand that makes an initiative and a donation to, to conservation and preservation and, um, and it's, you know, a family owned company and I've been nothing but pleased with, with any of their gear. And, you know, I, I always get a couple of dress shirts, buy a couple of dress shirts every year. And they're nice to, to wear, you know, in, in meetings and nights to wear out to dinner. And they're great to even wear on the water. I mean, they're almost too nice, it seems like, to wear on the water sometimes. But mm-hmm. that's what they're designed for. And there's just a lot of um, a lot of good stuff that has been integrated into it. And, and speaking like those dress shirts, there's a microfiber that's stitched into the bottom of it for wiping your sunglasses. Yeah, I and, love that. The layout of the pockets, the pockets are just very efficient. Everything on on it's just it's very efficient and it, it fits right into to um, you know what we what we do. It it keeps us protected. And it keeps us comfortable. It keeps you you know feeling good on the water and and you get a longer day. You don't feel so dragged out by the end of the day. Wearing jeans and wearing a wearing jeans and like a flannel shirt will. will will really tear you up out there, but to wear something that's nice and thin and cool and keeps the bugs, keeps the sun off you. Um, you know, when we go out, we, we fish eight, 10 hour days. So, you know, you gotta be comfortable out there. Or you're just, you're not going to last.
0: Yeah. Good points. And, and um, that's a, like Eric said, one of the big reasons we went with them for our board shirts is they share the same values as Lake St. Clair walleye association. They give 10% of their profits uh, to conservation organizations for for uh, not only you know, freshwater fisheries, but also saltwater. And uh, to me, we, we share the same values. It makes sense to have their stuff. And, you know, um, my top two picks uh, for for summer stuff and sun protection, I'm going to recommend that Jason Christie hooded long sleeve and then the Salago gloves. I wear those and, and I still got the fingertips exposed and, and the palms as well. But I can't stand getting the back of my hands roasted and lobster red. So I don't have that problem anymore, but, uh, Hey, I'm going to tell people to, to the same thing that I do. I, I, wear what works for me. Um, and AFCO has always been that. And, you know, after two years of using it, I green light. So I got nothing but good to say. And uh, one thing that you probably noticed is we talk a lot about spinning and cranking and, you know, we're big trollers on Lake St. Clair. So if you want to be successful fishing the lake, you got to be able to troll. Um, so that's a skill set you want. Um, Eric, do you have any tips for guys that are just learning the trolling thing with inline boards or, or any suggestions for guys to become more efficient at trolling?
1: Sure. And you know, it's kind of what you were talking about about jumping back and forth between the spinning and the, and the, the crawling or the, the crawling and the, uh, crawling cranking. And cranking. Is, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, one thing that I like to do is if I'm out by myself is you know I'll have three rods rigged up with spinners and three rods rigged up with cranks and um, you know when you're trolling in, in in an area it really can Lake St Clair is very notorious for this and the guys that have fished the Tuesday night league or that have followed the Tuesday night league and and one thing I really enjoy about the Tuesday Night League is not just how you know great group of guys that we have that participate in it and it's always a fun thing but you learn really quick at how how the, the, the bite flip-flops in yeah. this lake. And one day they absolutely love spinners. The other day they absolutely love cranks. So uh, it's nice to, to vary that up. One thing I would say is is try and give them a bit of everything before you leave an area. If, you, if you're if you working in an area and, and you know there's fish there, and Say so you're just getting smaller fish. Maybe what you need to do is you need to switch from spinners to, to cranks and try and get a better reaction bite and go fast. Do, do go to the extremes. You know, you might be crawling at uh, you know one one to one three or even up to one five. Well, don't turn around and put crankbaits on and go that same speed. Go two two, two five, two seven, all the way up to three mile an hour, and and it, it's insane sometimes how that'll make the difference you know i've had days before where i've gone out and i've started spinning at one three and then i went up to one five and then up to one six one seven and i gradually started getting better fish but then i decided to, to over the same area fish to run cranks and um you know then you you start doing the one eight one nine to two to two one and just push the limit I mean, keep going as fast as you can until you stop getting bit because what's crazy sometimes and what really catches me off guard is your catch rate will continue to increase the faster you go. And, and for whatever reason, those fish just, they want things fast. Other days they want things really slow. So don't just write an area off and go through and give them one option and just say, you know what, they're not here. They're not biting and then leave and go to a different spot. Um, Or if you are in an area where you are catching fish, uh, take the time and say, Hey, I'm going to try something. If I'm getting them on spinners in here going one five, I wonder what I could do if I run cranks, you know, will it catch better fish? Will it catch more fish? So that's one thing that I would say to do is, um, try and give them the best that you can. And and that's a tough thing is, is time management. We, you know, I am lucky and, and a lot of us are very lucky that we get to spend more time than others out on the lake, but some guys only have one day to go. And it, it's tough for, for, you to say, Hey, try all these things in, in a day of fishing, but um, you'll be surprised at at, uh, at what you'll learn and what you'll see when you, when you do that kind of stuff. And you're right. The trolling bite on Lake St. Clair is it's um, it's crucial. If you, if you want to catch fish in this lake, you're going to have to, to, to spend time trolling, you're going to have to improve in your trolling and, and your confidence in it too. Um, cause it's really the bread and butter. And I would say that still, although there's been a lot of success in, in, in running cranks over the years, uh, spinners running, trolling spinners is, is still the predominant bread and butter of this Lake. Yeah, And, um, just, you know, spend time doing it, uh, pay attention to your boards. That's always been a very important thing. I run offshore tackle boards. I absolutely love them. I run everything from the mini boards, um, you know, on up and, and every product they make is, is a really good product. And and what I really like about their boards is the way that they pull in the water. And I get a very good read at how my bait is reacting and what my bait's doing by, watching that board and paying attention to that board. And I think that of all the boards that are on the market, they're, they're, uh, they're good in that sense that they, they pull very true and they kind of transmit everything that's going on from your rod tip all the way down to the bait. And uh, you know, when you're, when we're talking currents in this Lake um, you know, pay attention to what your board is doing because it'll, it'll help you not only determined that hey maybe my board's not pulling quite the way that i want to so i need to speed up but then you start to learn what well why is why is all of a sudden i was just going and everything was pulling perfectly fine all of a sudden my boards look like they're laying down my speed over ground and everything is the same nothing should have changed well something did change that you didn't realize and it's the current Mm -hmm. well pay attention to that because did you start catching more fish when you got into that area where your boards were kind of laying down more? So now all of a sudden you discovered not only like, Hey, I need to maybe speed up and pull the, you know, get these boards pulling more fluently or the way that they were, but then you start to, to learn more about what's underneath you and the spot that you're at. And, um, you know, there's, there, there's been a lot of times where I'll go through a spot and I'll I'll watch my boards and they'll start acting weird. And I won't even catch a fish, but I'll mark that area because then I understand that like, hey, there's something going on underneath the water here, whether it's a lack of current or there's more current or what. But you start to understand the lake uh, better. And that applies to anywhere that you're fishing. Um, there's always going to be underwater currents. There's always going to be wind currents and stuff like that. When you're trolling, just be very observant as to your surroundings and the things that you see. And, 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 you know, people ask me all the time, well, it, it's funny to me because I, I've been, I've been lucky to have some success here the last uh, few derbies and people come up to me and say, well, man, what did you, know, what did you do? How did, how did you get them? And it's, it's such a loaded question because I feel like there's so many little things that go into, um, into everything that I was, I, I was able to do. And, and paying attention to your boards and paying attention to your current and that ride out in the morning when you, when you see that the waves are really stacked up in one area and just, just being very observant of your surroundings. And and, I mean, you're in, you're in the fish's world at that point, you're out in the lake, you're in their world. So you need to try and understand their world the best that you can to give yourself the best chance. You know, we'll you'll never figure these fish out and that's why we continue to do this nobody the best of the best hasn't been able to completely figure out everything that they're doing it's a fish at the end of the day right so um it's difficult to uh you know the best fishermen there are still don't have it figured out but what you can do is you can get yourself closer to understanding them so i take all things in i try and consider everything and 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 try and understand what's happening under the water and and how it's, how it's affecting those fish and, and what they're doing. And I always struggle to answer that question when I'm asked that question, because I know that so many minuscule little things went into making everything come together. And the more that you can pay attention and you can try and gather all those little things and put them into a plan and a better understanding you'll be so much better and, and and that's what i love about you know what you said earlier about our our whole mission of 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 learning to fish and to understanding things better that's going to make you a better fisherman no matter where you fish that's going to make you a better fisherman in the long run than to say hey you need to go here today and you need to fish this and this is the program and this is how we caught them yesterday that might help you get a limit of fish that day but in the long run that's not necessarily going to make you a better fisherman.
0: It's not going to help uh, you understand why the fish are there, what they want, yeah. and and how to do it.
1: Exactly, and yep. you know I'm a kind of guy too. I fish on a lot of a lot of hunches. I'll get, um you know, my dad gets frustrated me with me sometimes. So we'll pull up on a spot and we'll get all of our lines set and we'll troll for thousand feet. And I'll say, all right, pull them up. Come on, we're going somewhere else. And you you stop and think. It's like, well we just got here and the boards are pulling good, but I'll get some weird hunches. And and it's a lot of those hunches I think come from just being observant and just something doesn't feel right. Something doesn't add up. So where I feel like that is the, the, my best chance, my best place to be and I'll up pull everything and I'll run five miles in a completely different direction and set up and, and, and do something completely different. So. Being observant, you know, being just just really, really paying attention when you're trolling. It's, it's not just chugging along and, and, you know, the kicker's going and you're tuning in the radio and eating sandwiches. I mean, look around and pay attention to what you see, and that's going to – you'll really, really start to understand – why things happen the way that they do. You'll really understand what makes one area different from an other. And then you'll start looking for those other areas, the spots that um, you might've really got them in really good. Then you'll understand, well, Hey, these, especially when we're talking current, I mean, that's something that you can't necessarily, your graph doesn't show you current, you know, you, 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 it's hard to to find that stuff, but it's, it's so important anywhere in the great lake system uh, Cause it, it really affects the fish. The fish really, really pay close attention to that. And they really follow that. And, and when you can get a better understanding of, of that and, and, and how it is moving fish, um, you know, where they're headed, what they're doing, what they're thinking, what's going to move them, what's going to move the bait. And uh, just having that overall better understanding of, 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 just the basics it's it's not always you know technique it's not always uh um it's it's not always like the special hot color custom color bait it's it's those things that it's the basis of it all that'll that'll really really help
0: yeah so if i can summarize Some of the points that Eric's making uh, is is, as concise as I can. And and Eric and I know a lot of very great anglers. The best anglers I know are able to do three things, and they do it in this order. They observe, interpret, and apply. They observe what's happening in the fish's world. They interpret it, and they apply. And if they do that all correctly, they're going to be successful. Um, That might mean a full live well for eaters. might mean uh, the right fish in a tournament or derby, uh, if you do those three things, you're going to set yourself up for success. And, and it's not just a Lake St. Clair thing. It's guys that fish all over the country, all over the state of Michigan, wherever you're at. The best anglers I know, do those three things. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I kind of want to, uh, on that note, kind of close out the, the show here for, for June. A um, couple things I want to talk about uh, upcoming. Uh, we're hoping in July to have our first in-person club meeting Um, I can't thank the Michigan United Conservation Clubs enough for, uh, really stepping up to fight for anglers rights, uh, during these, you know, just strange times with COVID. And, you know, it's, there's some really frustrating things that happened with boating for a minute in our home state of Michigan. I I can't thank them enough. And, you know, we're, we're an affiliate of their organization being, uh, you know, a a nonprofit and, and falling underneath that umbrella. So I just, I want to thank them, um, I know our club's highly involved with them. But, um, hey, some things to look forward to is hopefully in July we're, we're meeting in person. I know that I'll have a brand-new Lama Glass Assassin 6-foot rod to uh, – I think we're going to raffle it off. Um, so one thing to look forward to, I just want to thank Lama Glass Rods for that. And if you haven't checked out those Assassin rods, they're pretty freaking awesome. So we're going to raffle one off at our next meeting in person and um i'm sure we'll have a good seminar um eric got any closing thoughts for the audience
1: i just want to say uh, thanks for everybody for listening and I, I appreciate you having me on like i said i've been a long time listener i love what you have going on i think that uh you've obviously gotten a lot of very good anglers to speak and um you know, a lot of very good information and what's really cool for 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 me is uh you know, I listen to a lot of these guys that I really look up to and, and listen to them talk and some of the things that, that they pick up on. And, and, uh, you know, I, I by no means put myself in a category with some of the, some of the speakers that have been on. Some of these guys are just absolute, just stud fishermen and, and have such a deeper understanding. And, and I'm trying to achieve that. Right. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing that it's very reassuring to have something in your mind and something that you kind of quietly keep to yourself that you don't want to go out and tell everybody because you think that everybody's going to think you're crazy and to listen to some of these guys say some of the stuff that you're thinking you're like wow I guess I was I was actually on something so it's it's very uh you know it's it it makes you really really feel more confident in in what you're doing and I've always enjoyed the podcast and I I love everybody that's, that's, that's been on and I appreciate everybody that's been on. It's just been great to kind of, to share everything that, uh, you know, my perspective on things. And like I tell anybody, if they ever have any questions, I I can go on and talk for fishing, talk about fishing for hours. So, you know, I'm not that hard to reach. If you, uh, if you ever want to reach out to me or come up to me at a, at a club meeting or, our meetings are, are open to the public. You don't have to be a member to, to attend one of our general membership meetings. You don't have to be a member to uh, come check out one of our weigh-ins and kind of see what we're about. And, uh, you know, feel free, come up and uh, ask me some questions, pick my brain, because really it, it helps me to learn. Um, it's not a one-way street. It's not, not me teaching. It's, it's me uh, learning a lot from everybody that I ever talked to. So, um, yeah, don't be a stranger. Don't don't be shy. I'm 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 a I'm a pretty nice guy and love to love to talk fishing. So um yeah, don't be a stranger, come up and, and ask away. Heck so. yeah.
0: So guys, if you wanna you know reach out to Eric on Facebook, just look up his name. Obviously it'll be in the title of the podcast, but uh, he's on Instagram too. Do you know your Instagram handle off the top of your head?
1: Uh I wanna say it's Eric Allen8. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, guys. So um, yeah, if if you want to reach out to him on Instagram, he's there as well. Um, Yeah. Anytime you guys have questions, you can shoot them on the podcast page. You can send a message to us. I, I believe I got an email attached there too, if that's your thing. But if you want to hear certain things or you want clarification on some of the stuff we've talked about, I can get you in touch with the guys who've been on the show or, or maybe I can answer them, but, um, Hey, are the Lake St. Clair walleye association, they make this podcast possible. And Hey, if you're looking for a great place to meet good people and, and that, that love to fish, you know, we're that organization, in Southeast Michigan. And you know we have people that travel farther away to, to get there. And it's like an hour from my house, but, um, you know, it's, it's part of what I do. My, some of my best friends that I stay in touch with you know, daily, I'm, I'm, chirping a, a text thread with Eric and my buddy, Jeff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just great to have those type of people in your life. So, um, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, we look forward to meeting in person in July, as long as nothing crazy happens with, uh, you know, the strange world we live in. Um, we're just looking forward to getting more and more back to normal and thank you guys for listening.